What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. And we are back. Sorry we missed last week. We've been quite busy on our ends. Uh, but this week's episode is brought to you guys by 10,000. Use the code CRONZED15 for 15% off your first order at 10,000. Lots of new swag coming out by them. Uh, highly recommend the shorts. Uh, the interval shorts, my favorite short. Um, and these shorts are pretty sweet, too. Yeah, uh, we love running in 10,000. Their uh, socks are really sexy, too. I wear them when I bike. Makes my calves look bigger. So I'll continue to rock those. Uh, if you're watching, you can probably tell that I have a 4K camera. Bobby can't, but for those of you listening, just imagine I'm even more crystal clear on the YouTubes. Yeah, I can't really tell, to be honest. It hurts. It hurts daddy's feelings. Hey, uh, it's been a pretty busy week for both of us. What have you been up to, Sean? Uh, this week was all on-campus interviews, so trying to land a job for the summer, and still lots of reading, uh, writing the program for, I can't, I can't decide if I'm going to name the next round, like, Ranger Guide version 2, or just go with the random V number, so maybe like a V9, V10, maybe double digit it, but hmm. it's been a busy week. What have you been up to? Uh, I just finished uh, this week, uh, this past week, I just took my um, our in-service exam. It's called the Absite. Basically, it's our like yearly, um, I guess, uh, yearly like test to show, to see how we're doing. And like in our program, it's like a pretty big deal. It's like how we rack and stack amongst each other um, based on how we do. So it's uh, kind of stress-inducing, put it that way. And you were saying you only get like five hours of sleep at night when you were studying, right? Yeah, this past week I've been kind of busy. Um, not really like, uh, I guess like just studying and trying to like cramp, well not really cramp, but like get the last bit of studying in. Um, so it's just been kind of difficult trying to um, be smart in terms of how I'm studying. And then getting some and sleep in and then like taking the test on Saturday. Like three to four months and you'll find out how you did? Uh, I think it's like four to six weeks actually. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's way better. Yeah, not terrible. I mean, how many rounds of this do you have? Every year. Oh. <laughs> but at so, least the uh, the good news is that it get, it's the same test that everybody takes every year. So then um, what it means is, like, the, the more experience you get, the easier it's supposed to get because you know more technically. Oh. So but, that's nice. I always thought that they should do that for, like, the Ranger tab. I think a lot of individuals that like freshly graduate tend to think that. Have you ever thought of something like a recertification? Yeah, I think we've talked about this before about doing like some kind of recertification, like not like the full ranger school, but maybe like going back and doing like Derby phase, you know, like rap week just all over again, just like, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's not for us, it's not really a recertification. We have boards, like once we graduate residency, these are like essentially practice boards. Um, practice boards that we take for because when we graduate residency we take the real boards and then that's when the matter is in terms of whether or not we you know graduate from residency and what have you so are you like for individuals that have seen scrubs are you like a turk uh i've actually never seen scrubs i have no idea i find that really difficult to fathom right now i mean i feel like that's someone asking me have you seen suits or are you going to be like harvey specter it's like i i think there are some practices where you're expected to have seen at least the 
television series or film that highlights your industry and profession? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I have never watched Scrubs before. I've watched Grey's Anatomy. So if you, for those who have watched Grey's Anatomy, I'm essentially Miranda or Sandra, Sandra So, whatever her name is. I, I've never seen it. One second. Hey, cut it out. Star Are they licking? Is that what they're doing? They're licking? Yeah. Hey. She's covered with... <laughs> she's still doing it. Sorry, the the you can see her in the screen. She's she's biting her toes. Um, couldn't hear. Anyways, <laughs> so if like if you watch Grey's Anatomy, I would be uh, analogous to Miranda or not Miranda. What the fuck's her name? Meredith. Meredith. Okay. So Never like, seen the show. Yeah. For those that have watched Grey's Anatomy, I am essentially Meredith. Oh, that's not bad. You can't hear her in the background, can you? I feel like I'm like. Losing my mind. Okay. I can't hear anything. Um, I think that if I was anybody on any show about law, I would be Vision from the Avengers because I just know everything and um, like a superhero. Or Dwayne The Rock Johnson from Hobbs and Shaw where he just knows the law and how to get stuff done. I don't know. I think it's, it's a normal jump for me. Uh... But neither of them are lawyers. Well, yeah. Like, are any of us really lawyers? I, I think the whole legal profession, the more I get to do, uh, I, I don't find particularly, like, super impressive. Like, not, not to say that, like, there aren't really incredibly smart individuals out there. Usually they just distinguish themselves by how well they write. And so I've got friends that are incredibly good writers but the practice itself, I've not heard someone reorganize, a, a, you know, an issue in court that that's so mind blowing. I sit back and go, how do they do it? If if people like puzzle games, if people like playing Clue, Settlers of Catan, like any risk game, I feel like that's law school, and it's just figuring out how to play the game. And then once you do, most people that graduate are the exact same. I can't see like a huge difference between people that go to like maybe a top 30 top 50 school yeah i'll probably say that's probably semi-similar in terms of surgery or in terms of medicine i think like when you graduate med school there's not a huge difference between you know students uh levels of capabilities when they graduate medical school um i think we're i feel like med school i mean i guess there are like some not as good students but i think if you're good all good people coming out of med school are going to be good no matter where you come from. But then residency is when you become like a, you know, excellent at whatever field you do. Right. And what's really weird is the the really big law firms that individuals compete to go to that are, you know, you're on vault. There's this ranking like vault top 50, vault top 100 for law firms across the country. And, and people that go to top seven, top 14 schools will give their left arm and leg for an opportunity to interview there. Some of their experiences are really limited when you're a junior associate. You're only going to work as like someone's research assistant, uh, reviewing documents. But if you go to a mid-sized firm or even a smaller firm that doesn't have the revenue generation that these really large firms have, you're going to 
do depositions earlier. You're going to have FaceTime with clients significantly earlier. So while you're not dealing on deals with you know 300 to a million to a one billion dollars in value, you're talking to clients on a daily basis. So it's one of those you know things I would look at. If where I'm going to work, I'm going to get substantive law experiences. Am I going to be challenged, or are they going to say, "Hey, this is like a bureaucratic model. You're going to sit here for two years and just review these documents, help draft subpoenas." Like, that's one of the ones. It's like, what's the trade-off here? So when you looked at Madigan, for instance, in residency programs across the country, are there big differences for what they expect of junior doctors versus at other programs? Yeah, I think that's a very similar sentiment. Like every program. Uh, does things differently in terms of surgery. Um, you know, I'll probably consider Madigan to be more of like a community level hospital versus like a large tertiary care hospital like you'd see at like Seattle or, you know, like at, um, I guess, like anywhere in the New York City, like Corn- Cornell or something. Um, so it's not nearly as busy or the acuity isn't quite that or the volume isn't quite there. So that's one of the, I think, the benefits of being at Madigan is that we operate a bunch, whereas most surgery interns don't go to the OR the first year. And if they do go to the OR, they're, like, doing first assists, which means they're not actually operating. They're just sitting sitting there watching and, like, retracting or, like, doing something to help. You're not actually operating. Whereas we at Madigan, you know, we go to the OR starting on day one, and then we essentially learn how to operate starting from our first day. So, like, at this point, I think I have something like 70 cases or major cases, quote-unquote major cases, that I have in my case log, which means that I'm, like, the surgeon junior for a large, for like a case that counts. So, like, at this point, it's, it wasn't actually nice this last week. I did a couple cases where, like, I felt like I actually knew what I was doing, and I didn't need the attending to, to like, tell me the next step or do it that I, like, knew what I was doing next. And I was like calling for instruments, like do, no, I knew what I wanted to do before the int- attending told me what to do, which is like quite um, advanced in terms of for your first level uh, as an intern. Um, you don't really, and pretty much this is the only place that I know about that does that. But like most other hospitals, like you don't even go to the OR until your second year or third year resident, and mm-hmm. even then you're not doing like the big cases because our cases are relatively not as like high acuity so we have a lot more like essentially same day cases so that's how we learn like the you know surgical technique and using our hands and sewing all the other stuff like learning the basics early now we talk about shows that have like a certain flair you know scrubs was very comedy driven gray's anatomy i i have no idea because i've never watched it but i watched like suits for instance and I almost think it has to be because it's a TV show, but it shows like, you know, a single lawyer like this Mike Ross character or Harvey Specter, they're dealing with topics that are so varied and so broad, like they themselves would not have that many opportunities to deal with like those specific issues. They'd be much more narrowed in their focus, like an IP lawyer or murders and acquisitions. They wouldn't be dealing with all these other topics. Is that the same thing in medical shows now that you watch going, that doctor wouldn't be doing oh, that yeah. too? Like, Dude, 100%. Like he's way more specialized. 100%. Like, uh, we watched The Resident a little bit last year, and I'm like watching, I'm like, this makes no sense. This dude's also an EM physician, internal medicine physician. He does everything, but it's like, you don't, like, it's medicine, and I imagine the same thing with law, is that you're very narrowly in scope and practice. Like, you go into mm-hmm. a specialty, and that's only what you do. Like, you might have some wiggle room to, like, you know, 
um, maybe to like do something that you don't typically do in terms of like, but like once you get to, but that's how you get in trouble. If like you're not, if you're not supposed to be doing like, I don't know, for example, like for surgery, like, um, managing like diabetes medications, like I could probably do it, but it's not technically like my, you know, I'm not trained to manage somebody's diabetes medication. Like I could probably figure it out and, yeah. and do it, but it's probably not the best care and not the best, you know, optimal care for a patient where I could just talk to my medicine folks, my medicine colleagues, ask them to like consult them and ask them to, to weigh in on it. And that's a, like a much better way of doing it because at that, then they get the actual professionals or the people that are trained to manage this stuff doing it. So I imagine the same thing for law too. No, it absolutely is like, you know, there's, you could probably list off the top of your head like 45 different practices within, you know, seven to 10 industries. And each one has someone that's been working there for 22 to 25 years that specializes in it, knows it in and out. Um, but on the topic of, of medicine, since we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, I think we're up to like 430,000 COVID deaths or COVID related deaths, which blows my mind because I remember when we were talking about this like a year ago. It was like, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, and they're projecting another 130,000 within the next month. And with these new variants come out, can you tell me at least, and I don't care if the listeners know it already, but what is the difference in these variants that are coming out with the South African variant, the English variant? Like, should we be more concerned now? Yeah, so essentially, um, like with any virus or pathogen or even human cells, you have some degree of evolution or selection. So, like, uh, that's why, like, with the flu changes every year because um, the virus picks up new mutations that then it will influence in how rapidly it spreads or how resistant it is. Apparently, I was looking at the, some articles about the English version, and this English version has a mutation in, like, the spike protein, which is, like, the, SAR, like the, COVID, or the SARS-CoV-2... Um, how it infects cells so this spike protein mutation makes it more transmissible there's like some other things that make it more resistant and just different um so like but like um how a virus works is that it essentially um enters into a cell like the host cell and then it hijacks the host cells of like production um of proteins so essentially like it's like infects the cell it convinces the cell to make more of the viruses. And then once it finishes making the viruses, essentially like lyses or like kills the cell and releases all the new virus particles. So that's essentially like the, you know, like the five minute of how a virus works. So like when it does that, it has the ability or it, you know, has the ability to pick up new DNA from the host cell or pick up new mutations from the host cell. And then through like uh, selection, um, if it becomes more transmissible, then that variant will then become the more dominant strain because it you know, is able to infect more and then reproduce more. And so how would like an Osmosis Jones and his pill buddy defeat this virus from inside? Who's Osmosis Jones? You've not seen that movie? No. Oh, it's another medical movie that you have to catch. It's a cartoon with Bill Murray. It's great. Yeah. Oh, it's disappointing. I thought I had a really good question there, medical related. Um, so what, what does the, from your standpoint, if you were Dr. Fauci, uh, so you'd have to lose a shit ton of weight and, and shrink down some, if you were Dr. Fauci, what would your guidance be to 
let's say military members and then to the to the regular public i mean i feel like uh for the vast majority of military members um it's you know a different population than your standard um like american population like military generally speaking are younger they're healthier um you know less riddled with chronic disease like you have with your with your normal population but you know the military population like i don't really think should be test necessarily super worried about getting covid um it probably if you get it like you might feel like shit for a couple of days you don't feel well but then for the vast vast majority like 99.99 percent of active duty service members will be fine like there's only been like two I, I was, or three like active duty service members have died from covid yeah that's that's what i was going to ask because it i mean we we talk about it and we've I don't know, probably like five or six times now but the link between the obvious, you know, uh, variables that make getting COVID very dangerous, the elderly and those with underlying conditions, but then those that are like incredibly out of shape or heavier and obese. I mean, like when Chris Christie got it, when, you know, Trump got it, um, you know, it's, it's a weight related thing. So I was wondering this week because the military is not as overweight as our general population, you know, why no one uses that as a case study to say, hey, there's clearly some signs for like self-care that we should be, you know, taking a look at and comparing ourselves to other uh, premier countries that don't have such a high death rate. Like, what are we doing and why aren't we talking about healthy lifestyle choices? You know, that's a great, uh, that's a great idea for paper. Um, If I had more time, I would consider writing that paper, but I imagine that'd be relatively straightforward to write because uh, you just have to pull data from like the military population you probably correlate bmi and like health um chronic health conditions with like the standard american population that have you know been exposed to covid and oh that'd be a good paper to write maybe, maybe yes. i'll write that paper that'd be actually a really good paper to write um talking about that, that'd be a, a really good way to correlate and show the effect of like having a healthier population on disease burden and symptomology 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 symbology symptom whatever symbolism yeah but that'd be a great paper maybe i'll think about i'll try and do that Um, i mean i feel like you should if if you've got the time because it's a the i looked at covid and i still somewhat look at it because you know, it's an opinion and everyone's entitled to it, but it's frustrating that we've gotten to the point that we have with COVID in the country. Clearly, politics play a lot um, when we consider how states are, are responding to it. And each state seems to have its own, you know, like firestorm at different parts of the year, whether it's Florida and the spikes early on, but now they're open, or New York locking down early, but now we're finding out, you know, like 50% more elderly people were, you know, died in the, the nursing homes. But to a larger extent, I was always selfishly upset because I didn't want to take it seriously because I wanted to go to the gym. I felt mm-hmm. this disease, this virus was impacting uh, a minority of the population that was like, okay, you're elderly, you have pre-existing conditions. I feel like society can come together to make sure that you're taken care of, whether it's delivering meals or, you know, just isolating and quarantining. But then when I saw that we had to take such drastic measures because people were lazy is maybe not the right word, but 
from a, a standard of, of just simplicity, I would say lazy and were not taking care of themselves like they should have. And we're now the individuals that are healthy and not going to get sick from this are the ones that are paying a social cost. Um, so like not being able to go to the gym, I know is such like a, a trivial, like vain gripe, but that's just like a example of, I think why a lot of people in the country, we're not taking this seriously. Like why should I have to alter and wear a mask when I'm asymptomatic, even if I were to get the disease compared to someone who is really not taking care of themselves you know, like, is that a reap what you sow type thing? Ethically, what would you, what would your argument for that be? Yeah, I mean, you can, t- there's a couple approaches that you could think about that, like, uh, that perspective. It's like, um, you know, you know, being like a um, considerate member of society, I guess, you know, as mm-hmm. a, as a role that we, you know, are obligated to play by being an American and being in a functional society. We do have an obligation to those around us to, um, you know, take into consideration other people's concerns. But at the very same time, that like uh, I see the other side of like, you know, if you're concerned about your health, maybe you should stay home and quarantine and stay in place. Yeah. If, but if you're not, you know, concerned about your health, if you're, you know, young, healthy, not obese, have no health conditions, you're like 99.99% gonna be fine with covid like there's like a right. very very small minority and i think the whole you know pandemic has been kind of politicized in terms of you know you know covid bad because trump made it bad and then that's yeah. kind of the sequelae of, of that it becomes so politicized but at the, at the end of the day like for us you and me like if we were to get covid we probably wouldn't even notice we had it and that's the whole that's the whole thing like for the vast majority of like less than age 50 it's like a 99 point eight percent like you know survival rate so you have to really consider that and like obviously like for those greater than 65 or 70 it becomes more more like more morbid slash mortal but that's like on you know that's something that you need like have to take the personal you know consideration with whether or not you want to risk getting covid um and spreading it like you know what i mean so like i do the- I, I like that i like that like social awareness citizen remark that was one of the things trump said you know months after the fact like uh if you're patriotic you wear a mask um at that point i think people had made up their minds not to wear a mask or to wear a mask but it's definitely something that there seems not to be a middle ground nobody nobody's like sitting on a news uh desk and having this discussion going why should people who are going to make these arguments that like I should not be prohibited from my day to day interaction because someone else decided not to work out or eat healthy. Yeah. Like, why aren't they having that? It just seems to be you either we're telling you you need to wear a mask, and if you don't, you're an animal. And then we're telling you if you wear a mask, you're a sheep, uh, and you know you need to be a, a sheep dog or a sheep wolf, whatever the hell you know, like the the brutal guys say out there from like those military memes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just that comes from like the media and politicization of everything that like, you know, no, like a, like a reasonable approach isn't what's going to be, um, more popular or drive views, right. you know, but like, Nobody honestly, like, moderate. yeah, honestly though, like for the vast majority of like, you know, less than 50, like we, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, significant sequelae from this pandemic on our, our economy in the next five to 10 years, you know, for sure. <laughs> all this like money that we've essentially been printing out for free, 
like it's gonna it's gonna you know nothing in life is free so you know the price we pay now versus the price we pay in the future um for tank essentially tanking our economy for you know i don't i hate to use like the nothing more like not just like a flu it's not a flu but you know for the vast majority of people it is like a flu um i mean that and that's exactly right but you're never going to see that on prime time no because if if we're at such an ex- a point now where four hundred thirty thousand people have died, you know, it, I I bet we'd probably get up to six hundred to seven hundred thousand, you know, by the end of the spring. And by that point, now we're looking. I mean, like nobody fathomed that number last year this time. Um, but it's frustrating to think about what maybe we could have avoided with this with hindsight, knowing that health and fitness could have greatly reduced uh, the burden, not only for the human toll, but for the economy. And I know personally, it's been super frustrating here in New York, not from the sense that I can't go to a restaurant, but just like the arbitrary closes closures. If you fly into LaGuardia or JFK, you have to fill out this form online or do it in person to quarantine. Uh, yeah, you could fly into Newark and take a cab and skip all of this, like, you know, mm. self-quarantine uh, direction from from Cuomo or for de Blasio. And, you know, we're going to close restaurants. Macy's was wide open. The Christmas tree was wide open months ago. And then we've got people saying like, oh, now's the time. Like if we don't open up now, like we're going to have irreparable uh, damage to our state and to, you know, our cities. It's like, well, we've got a, a, a more deadly variant because it, it's more transmittable coming out. And it's, you know, in a state just to our south and our ICU capacity is filling up. And now we're going to say that we're going to be opening when earlier this summer it was not nearly as bad and we were adamant that we had to close. Like, I think it's really frustrating seeing leaders essentially playing politics and not not addressing the issues that we kind of just highlighted with, you know, what actually should be done and could be done for the, the population that is uh, at most risk. Yeah. But I, I would lastly conclude on that, you know, the population that is most at risk is majority of Americans. You know, we're very privileged from the military side, and most of our listeners are military, and we're probably sitting here like, man, like everyone's fit, like this is not a problem. But what is it, like 60% of Americans, 70% of Americans are overweight or obese? Like that's the majority of the country now. Yeah, I think like 60% are overweight, but like 40% are obese or something like that. Um, But it is, is, you know, a significant portion of America. Yeah, also, so it's no longer a minority that we're, you know, looking out for with our elderly. It's like this is the bulk of America. Yeah, and I also, I also think it's like a good point to make that it's like, you know, if you're worried about, you know, getting COVID because you are, you know, at a higher risk population, you probably shouldn't expose yourself to situations where you might be exposed to the virus. Like for, you know, like you probably shouldn't be, you know, going, um, you know, to the go shopping or go like you know you should probably take the extra precautions but like the rest of everybody else can probably you know do their normal day-to-day activities understand the fact that there is a small chance it could get there is a chance it could get exposed and there is a chance that you could get sick but you know i think as a human being you have the ability to make your own cost benefit analysis and that that's kind of on you like the government shouldn't be but this is just me as like a libertarian, not like a medical professional. I think it's like the government shouldn't really be telling you how to live your life. Um, like you can be able, you should be able to have your own like um, 
should be able to develop your own conclusions and draw your own conclusions and then live, you know, have your own like cosmetic analysis where you say, you know, I accept the fact that I might get COVID, but you know, for for me, like I'm like 99.99% going to be okay with it. But like for my grandma, you know, I probably shouldn't go see my grandma because if I have it, if I give it to her, she'll probably die from it. But these are like exactly. these are like the decisions that, as like an informed citizen or as an informed person, you can make on your own without the government telling you that, like, hey, you can't go to a grocery store or you can't go eat in public, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to the gym, you can't go to get your hair cut because he's, you know. But it's like everyone has the ability well, think- to make their own decisions. But that's where we are as a country. You're going to have one if we make the argument. The government should be able to restrict, um, you know, the the bait. I, I say liberties here, but I'm not using that in the in terms of like the I'm railing against uh, centralized government. But like, if we're gonna on one hand say you can't go out that often, you have to wear a mask 24 uh, seven. You also have to be able to accept that people should look at you then uh, and say you should not be out of the house if you are a more um, at risk group, like the, the there seems to be like a you're you're being hypocritical if you claim that everyone should be protected and that the government should step in, but then if your rights are reduced, like because you're an at risk group from going to the grocery store, it's like well that's actually selfish. Like you're putting a significant higher burden on society because of a potential deadlier impact that you face rather than just society at large getting through this very dark, dangerous period for, say, a month. Uh, Because people are fine with quarantining so long as everyone has to do it. But if people have to have different levels of quarantine, then all of a sudden now people are complaining just to the same extent that people were complaining just to wear a mask. It's like there are so many levels to what each person considers like an affront to their liberties. But... It's like we said, that argument we should do this for America as a society, I think is would be absent from both uh, the left and the right if we went to those kind of extremes. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's like the whole pandemic's been quite kind of politicized and used as a political weapon to damage, you know, Trump and then for what have you. But I will be interested to see kind of the data that comes out, um, you know, in the next couple of years about uh like the like death rates because um that's a uh an interesting um you know idea about how you know that you know like 400,000 people have died from covid a cor- uh, like i have been attributed to covid but like what about the overall death rates you know attributed to suicide substance abuse depression um untreated cancers as a big one um, people that have like other diseases that are not able to get the standard of care because they're you know unable because like hospitals are too you know filled to do what have you. So that's another th- interesting thing to see whether or not you know the overall death rate is higher or not even with COVID well, or. I feel bad for kids. Oh yeah, I, I then- keep every single time I turn the news on. Every single news channel is reporting how teachers want to go back, teachers want to go back, students want to go back. But then on the exact same broadcast, they talk about the teachers' unions don't want to go or then teachers don't – like I, I can't get a straight answer on whether teachers want to be back in school or not. Um, you know, like we've, we've got some government mandate in states who should get the vaccine first. You know, first-line responders, teachers, you know, the 
the really important uh, individuals that help society function. Who do you think should get the vaccine or how do you think the vaccine should be rolled out or could be rolled out better? So, you know, talk about, um, you know, well, I just want to say like for the kids, like the risk or the, you know, effect that this pandemic has played on the development of children, I think it's going to be um, like this generation of kids is probably going to be pretty messed up. Like this is an entire generation of kids that will not, that we won't see the effects of the quarantine and pandemic for, you know, probably another 10, 20 years. But then there's, there'll be a like drastic shift in kind of how these kids are developing and maturing so, from a social and educational standpoint. Like essentially a lot of these kids uh, essentially got a mulligan on a year, like lost a year of school. So like makes you wonder like, you know, how, how, how much we're robbing Peter to pay Paul for these things. Like, you know, in the short term, like stopping the pandemic in the short term, but then we're going to pay for this, <clears throat> pay for the pandemic and our, you know, kind of draconian measures in, you know, 20 or 30 years when these kids are not becoming, you know, adults and then, you know, are having these, you know, educational or social issues because they never, you know, got the full social socialization or education they normally should have gotten in school. But that's besides the point. Um, as far as, like, vaccinations go, it should, you know, it should go to those who probably need it the most talk about your um people on the front lines so like emergency workers people in the hospital work in the hospital um uh you know like um people that are in contact with a lot of people even like health like uh fa- like restaurant workers yeah. you know retail retail workers um teachers um people that are exposed to a high volume of people every day should probably get it um, it doesn't have to be just the healthcare professionals themselves either, but like um, people at risk or like elderly people should probably get it. Um, you know, you want to give it to those that probably um, one are exposed to it more, and then two, you know, would you know uh, potentially have more catastrophic results if they were exposed to them. So you don't you would say just like a first come first serve is not an effective. Or at what point do you think it should turn to first come first serve? Is there a certain cap? Sure. It's actually interesting that you say the first come first serve because uh, even here in Washington, um, I heard that like something like 40% of nurses in the hospital are refusing the vaccine. Um, so at like one of the healthcare systems here in town in, in Tacoma, they literally opened it up to first come first serve because they had all their allocated for their, for the staff didn't get used. So like they have a, the vaccine has a pretty short expiration date. Like you have to use it by a certain date or else it goes bad. So, like, they had so many extra doses because the nurses or, like, the staff didn't want it, refused it, that they had to open it up for, like, first and first serve in order to use it so it wouldn't go to waste. So, I think that's a very interesting point. That are, even, there, are there medical requirements when you're in a hospital? Just, like, you know, when everyone has to deploy, you have to get the smallpox shot. Then you have to get these random shots for, for different areas that you're going to. I wonder, can the hospital force people to do that? And if they don't take it, they're not able to work? So they could potentially do that, you know, in the hospital. Like, you have to, in order to, for, like, preventative medicine, you have to prove your vaccination status a certain, you know, certain um, pathogens like hepatitis B, you know, smallpox. Like, uh, you know, you, you need to have your standard vaccination in order to, like, work in the hospital, I want to say. So they very well could, you know, force you or like require you to get the vaccine if you to work in the hospital. But I think a lot of places, including Madigan, have not 
you know, put their foot down and said that because, you know, they don't want to, you know, because it's such a touch, like a touchy subject in terms of, we don't know the long-term effects, blah, 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 but like, I don't know. It's like, they could, but they haven't because they don't want to alienate people and force people to do something that they don't want. But at the same time, though, like, in the military, like, how many fucking shots, of, or how many shots, like, vaccinations have we gotten? Like, what does it matter? Like, I remember, like, going to deploy, it's like, they just give you a shot. You don't even ask what it is. Oh, you just it's took just it. boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. But it's like, I don't know why now it becomes like, a, oh, like, I don't want to get the COVID vaccine because I don't know what happens in there, or, like, what my body does. So it was like, because you knew what happened to your body when you got the smallpox vaccine, like, it's like, yeah, I, it, it seems kind of, uh, you know, contradictory and hypocritical to say that. I just think misinformation has just been so rampant that nobody's going to trust the, you know, a, a vaccine's efficacy. I mean, the note that I wrote this summer on informal rulemaking and how the FDA could use it to, you know, expedite vaccine licensing scared me enough to, to say, like, damn, I, now I know what the FDA does to get these vaccines through, but I still wouldn't, I wouldn't distrust these government figures and agencies to put something out on the market that would have, you know, such terrible ramifications as to make an entire nation sick from a bad batch. Yeah, I um, mean, that's kind of the, you know, the trust that you have to pl- you pl- have to place as part of being like in a society and civilization is that you have to place a certain amount of trust and faith in your you know people that make decisions that they have your best interest at heart which can then you know can argue the fact that we're all humans and then even the people in leadership roles are also humans and have agendas and have certain you know certain goals that they want to make so you know it's hit it's like it's plus or minus it's like you know was it the one saying like five steps this way ten steps another way or whatever or what yeah i don't know i don't know what the, the, the idiom is but you know what i'm saying like I hope we can get through this by, I don't have any hopes for the summer. Unfortunately, I, I wish by summer it was going to open up. My, my fear is long-term and I know we were talking about this. I got COVID's a year long now. Um, but you were saying how in like Asian countries, people will wear masks more frequently during flu and cold seasons, or if they are sick, they'll wear a mask themselves out in public do you see that happening long-term for the United States? Are we going to be wearing masks going forward for the rest of our lives? I mean, it's probably like a good practice, social, like societal practice. Um, maybe not, it doesn't really reduce the transmission of like, you know, the, the cold or something like that, but it's kind of a social cue to let people around you know that you're not feeling well and that they should probably give you a little extra space. And that, right. you know, could be the, what actually contributes more to reduce transmission of, you know, the cold or something like that. Um, so I don't necessarily th- like that'd be fine with me. I don't really necessarily care, you know. But I think if you're like healthy, you, you know, is it really worth wearing a mask all, all around all the time? And then is it really worth people like getting all snotty and like make comments about how you wear masks and that how you should be wearing masks and like that? It's like I don't want to make that like a you know a like a standard in our society that if you're out in public, you should wear a mask. You know, I don't think that's necessarily the right answer either. Yeah. Again, cause from a fitness perspective, it's impossible to run or do any kind of challenging high heart rate, high breathing rate, uh, exercise with a mask on. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, and I, I dislike how, you know, people in the gym will look at you. If you're on a treadmill running one, it, it gets hot. It, uh, yes, 
uh, the the mask will like come down over your nose, and even my nose can't hold a mask to the face. Um, you wear it more than once, it gets wet. All of a sudden, you're literally it's sucking into your mouth every single time you breathe. People I see wear the, you know, what are they called? Not the balaclava, but the. It's like a neck warmer. Yeah, but they, neck they, gator. They, yeah, yeah. They wear like a neck gator. Like that. That is equally as uncomfortable. Not just uncomfortable from like I can't believe I have to wear this. Like wearing a you know a parachute harness for hours. But, like, I literally cannot breathe through this nylon material. Yeah. And a face mask will fog. Like, I, So, like, we're defeating ourselves at this point. You can't work out and lose weight or maintain, like, super, super healthy lifestyles while wearing the mask at the same time. Like, so forcing it at the gym for a population that is very unlikely to have, you know, detrimental side effects. It's one of those things that we, we talked about earlier, the selfishness of it. Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Yeah. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, I think it what it comes down to is that you should be able to make your own informed decisions on whether or not you want to do something or not do something. And you're going to have to live with the consequences of your own actions. Same thing as, like, you know, drinking and driving. Like, you know the yeah. consequences of drinking and driving, but if you're going to do it, you're still going to do it. So, like, why, why does it matter? Like, you know, if we have to breathalyze everybody that gets in their car, put it like, put it like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, if... I guess analogy would be like, you know, to prevent drinking and driving, we should all install like the breathalyzers in a car so that we prevent, you know, the one or two people that, you know, it's like this kind of similar idea that, you know, that we have to, the government has to step in and give everybody the same, like, uh, restrictions in order to protect, you know, certain amount of people. Yeah, I just wish that rather than putting this on the citizens if like we wanted a big government plan not just for a rollout for a vaccine but for quarantining they should have done something to say okay we're gonna everyone in the country has to get a test now it's like it was impractical because we didn't have enough tests out there but there should have been a like no later than i mean hell we're, we're a year later no later than august 30th of this year people have to get tested in the month of August. Like we're going to send it out to every employer or every apartment building is going to have it. Like we'll use New York city as a case study. I mean, every single person, like you could say the government could track and say, okay, for these individuals that have it, like you are not allowed to leave your building. And like, that would have been a much better quarantine than just saying, uh, try to stay at home as much as you can. Like at least then you could have tracked individuals but I think the fact that testing was so sporadically done um, in different parts of the country, we really didn't shut down services at all. Like, I feel like there was a week or two where there were runs on the, the groceries and nobody wanted to go out. But then after that, people just got fed up and started going out. So, like, I, I don't even think we're in, like, a real quarantine ever. Like, I don't think we truly quarantined. Probably not. I mean, like, maybe, like, in Jersey. I remember last year when, it, like, it was in the height of things. It was pretty pretty locked down. But, like, at the same time, like didn't do anything didn't really stop anything yeah i mean like i thought it was impossible to do it in the city like i live in an apartment building of probably a thousand people um no way could we i mean we have to take the dogs out at least five times a day uh you know even if we use the stairs you're going to come in contact with people the elevator the lobby passing on the street like yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would have been much easier to quarantine at a house with a yard. Like, yeah, stock up, have their refrigerators loaded and 
a garage gym. I don't need to leave for a week. But in the city, you can't get away with that. Yeah, so like the city's probably a different situation than people that live, you know, like in the rural America or in the countryside or even in the suburbs. Uh, it's going to be a different situation. Um, but yeah, I I don't know the whole like situation. I think I guess kind of round up and conclude on this COVID segment is that, you know, I think everyone, you know, at this point should know or recognize, um, can be, can make their own risk assessments on, you know, what they're comfortable with and what they're, um, you know, what they should be doing and should be responding with. But at the end of the day, I think that the country, you know, this highlights a drastic or a very, um, key element of our society that, that goes unspoken and that's importance of wellness of physical fitness wellness and taking care of your body that you know quite honestly this country is getting worse and worse about yeah i just don't know what you know we talk about the long-term repercussions and it'll be interesting to see that's for sure um yeah, uh, switching to the games because I keep seeing stuff on YouTube and Instagram, CrossFit games. What? How are they dealing with COVID, and how are you going to program for guys? Because like I, I feel like I saw stuff about dumbbells or like they were trying to make it very, um, yeah, manageable for people without gyms if closures were happening. Yeah, I think a the equipment list is all you need is a one only one dumbbell, like a fifty or thirty five pound dumbbell. You need a jump rope. You need a plyo box. You need somebody to do pull ups. And you need a bar and weights. So, like, essentially only five things. So, pretty basic garage gym, and you can do, like, the entire CrossFit Open. Um, so, that tells you, like, no ring, no ring muscle-ups. It tells you um, no rower, no wall balls. Um, so, it'll be kind of interesting mm. to see what movements they'll do. Because you're pretty, you're fairly limited in what movements you can do with, with those movement, um, those equipment things. But, I mean, in general, the Open is pretty, you know, pretty basic to begin with. Like, you don't get tested on like any crazy movements or crazy workouts it's just like kind of basics anyways i liked the workout from 2017 that i think it was like a 10 to 1 snatch ladder with uh double unders you mean the, it was like the dumbbell was, I, I, dumbbell snatches no, no, and burpees no 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 it was a barbell snatch um and it might have even been higher rep it was a squat snatch and like thirty double unders, and then yeah, those are thrusters. It was like the ten. Oh, they rounds. were thrusters. Yeah, there was one that was like ten rounds uh, of yeah, like okay. nine thrusters and thirty-five double unders. Yeah, I thought that was fun. That was like a quick workout. Um, I really liked the 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50 one until it got to handstand push-ups because oh yeah, I crapped out. I hate, I hated seventeen point one though. The uh, single arm uh, dumbbell, dumbbell snatch, yeah. snatch and the over the box burpees, yeah. the fifteen of them. That was awful. I hope they never do that again. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm so signed. I signed up to do it. Um, I think that if you have the capability to do it, you should probably sign up and do it. Um, mm-hmm. My fitness level is probably shit compared to where it was like a couple years ago when I was like real into doing CrossFit. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to see where I stack up nowadays. Um, we'll see. Are we gonna have the same people dominating CrossFit again this year? You oh, see, yeah. like new. Yeah, hundred percent. Like the the you know the elite of CrossFitters are gonna stay the elite CrossFitters, and those who have the capabilities to you know train at home with the full gym are gonna be the ones that are still doing well at the CrossFit. So interesting. I bet we see way more individuals that are outside of the United States that are very high up on the leaderboard that 
were taking PEDS all year because they could not go door to door with COVID to test. And these guys, we're going to see like ridiculous strength numbers and then their engines are going to be out of this world because now they can clean it up um, when testing probably resumes. Do you think they were doing like WADA was doing testing? Uh, I think so. I mean, I don't think CrossFit uses WADA anyways, but... No, they use, they use someone else, but I, I would say just in general, like I don't see with COVID happening and with travel being restricted for so long, people were going to like a Matt Fraser's house I think so. once a week to make them piss. I mean, they don't test them that often anyways. I think for CrossFit, they test it like once or twice a year. Uh, but even then, it's like... I don't know. I know for like WADA, um, they or like USADA, for the Olympians, they get tested pretty often and very randomly. So I'm pretty sure they still test people. Yeah, I just wonder what that looks like for like going door to door though. Like, is that because like they? It's not like they're just sending them a cup and saying send it back, please. Like, yeah. you know, there there's agents that are going. So how do they do that with COVID? And you know, like, do these guys have to carry around with them? You know, uh a COVID result that says I did not have COVID. Um, that's another thing with sports that we took, you know, last year they made it work with CrossFit, but the Olympics, like the, we're going to miss like a summer Olympics again. Like the, yeah. it's awful. I heard that they're, they're canceling it for this year. Like officially going to cancel it because, um, I think they can only do Tokyo. There's like a one year window. They can do the Tokyo Olympics. And if it's past the one year, they can't do it. So I've heard that they're going to cancel it this year. Which that's sucks. too bad. Um, yeah. I was asking well, let's you. talk about what we'd get gold in real quick. We'd get gold in women's soccer. We'd get gold in 90% of the track events, mm-hmm. not really any of the field events. Track events? I don't know. I think I think we would still destroy on track, like swimming. Maybe not the not the hundred meter. Uh, swimming. Yeah, I would say the bulk of medals would go to us. Relays would be more challenging. Uh, yeah, men's soccer would be crap. Um, basketball, men's soccer, I mean, men's basketball, women's basketball, we'd definitely win gold. Um, yeah, who, yeah. Definitely gold gymnastics. Medals. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, the, the two routines in the last year that, like, ESPN has highlighted from gymnasts out of UCLA, like, I don't know anything about gymnastics, but... Like I'm guessing that's like a powerhouse towards the Olympic US team. Like they're those are really like fun to watch, really athletic. I I bet gymnastics. We were always like number one or two anyway against yeah. uh China. Definitely not weightlifting or anything like strength sports. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh well, wasn't this year too they were gonna do the uh the Olympic Committee opened up that if for trans athletes to compete though? Like, you just had to be taking a year of, of hormone therapy. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't I have to look into that. I'd be interested to see what... Because I watched a thing on a, you know, like, for at least endurance sports, um, the, the, the athletes that go from male to female in transition with their hormone uh, regimen see, like, a 10 to 12% drop in their speeds, which makes them competitive uh, with, like, cisgender women. Um, I was going to be interested to see if that had any impact on qualifying for the Olympics or, you know, actually at the Olympics, if, if that was not a uh, a ban or if it had been lifted. Yeah, I think that's a good, because I think I saw, you remember that like New Zealand or Australian trans weightlifter that went from like male yeah. to female that still like wasn't that good and they like, didn't win any medals or something like that. 
Yeah, but didn't she like snap her elbow in a snatch? I, like, I feel like I watched. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but she she was snatching like two forty five, two sixty five, I think. Which is still like I think it doesn't mangled snatch like three oh eight or something yeah. or like three twenty. Like she's she's a powerhouse. But it's just like even the ones that transfer over aren't like experiencing success, which is good. I don't know, you know. That yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they what it happens going forward. I know uh, President Biden signed that executive order, and I'll I'll be interested to see how states react. But you you said you had a question. Yeah, we uh someone asked us last week on the Q and A to talk about the whole Ranger qualified versus Ranger debate. Oh. Oh yeah, because of uh, Senator, Senator Cotton yeah. and uh, Congressman. Oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Uh, from Colorado. Yeah, someone asked us to, to chat a little bit about that, but. Um, yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say. My, my dad was Ranger qualified. I always thought that's what it meant to be Ranger until, you know, I I had a mentor that had been Ranger Regiment was like, don't ever save it again. Like, I took it, you know, very personally, and I took that personally. Um, I think there is a difference. Like, every single one of the Rangers that serves in the Ranger Regiment is a Ranger. You don't have to have your tab to be a Ranger. But I think that distinction needs to be articulated once you get your tab. Like, I don't know. I, I feel privileged because I was in the in the range regiment, so I I don't really lose on either side of this argument. But yeah, I would say ranger qualified needs to be something you say uh, if you introduce yourself as an army ranger. Like you can't say I'm an army ranger unless you were in regiment. You can say I'm ranger qualified. That and I think then that you know at least acknowledges the difference between a unit and a school. Yeah, I'd agree on that sentiment. I mean, at the end of the day, like. Uh, it's like nuances and like the people that really care about that probably like you know it's probably not that um, I guess big of a deal in my mind it's like who really cares if someone says they're a ranger it's just like sure you know we were both in ranger arrangement went to ranger school and you know we're ranger in the sense of being a ranger but at the same time they're like why does it matter like you know if you if for someone that's trying to say that they're a ranger, by talking to them, you're going to realize that, no, they weren't actual rangers. So at the end of the day, like, what does yeah, it matter? Yeah, so who are you competing against? Yeah. It's like, it's not like you're both standing at a bar and you're trying to impress one person. Like, people that know, know. I, I would say it would be analogous to, oh, are you airborne qualified? And if you're airborne qualified, saying you're a paratrooper. Well, clearly there's going to be a couple units in the Army that are pissed off. Yeah. That you call yourself a paratrooper when you're just a five-chump five jump chump like that i i think that would be uh probably you know just as easy of an argument to make yeah i mean that's a very analogous argument but at the same time though like who cares like you know yeah. if you're talking to some like it, i guess the only way really would really matter for people that don't know about the difference but then at the same time though the type of person that's going to tell you that they're a ranger without being in ranger regiments the same type of person that's gonna lie about their service either way so why does it matter like you know yeah and and two, if you're getting out and you're coming from Ranger Regiment or you have your Ranger tab, like those are both great things to distinguish yourself apart from your peers. So regardless, like we're worried about a population that is in the top one percent of the military as it is, like that's not the people that we should be really like harping on for maybe some nuanced language. If it's 
a whole bunch of us just sitting around and it's like you, me, and a couple of our buddies that are qualified, like everybody knows that, that, you know, how to differentiate the term ranger and what it really means. But none of us care to the extent that we're going to like go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, to call it out. I thought that was just a, that was silly. I can't, like, I, I thought it was funny. I, I definitely sent it to some of my friends like privately as like, look at this, like, you know, there's, there's war on the hill, but nobody really gives a shit. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't really like, care. I don't take it personally. Yeah. I know like some of the memes, like, uh, the meme accounts, like take that shit personally and take it seriously. But at the same time, they'll like, I don't know. It doesn't really bother me that much when someone says that. Cause it's like, it doesn't, you know, um, doesn't, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? It doesn't, um, denigrate my service or doesn't like take away yeah, from like, what I've done or take away from my experience. Like, I don't give, I don't, I really don't care if you say that. Now what I thought was great in that argument. And I, I think is an argument everyone can get behind. Uh, so Congressman Jason Crow, I think he was in two seven five, at least from the flash. Yeah. Um, I think it was like general Thomas or something called him out for like that, that pettiness for, you know, going after Tom Cotton, but him wearing his beret, I think is a, bigger issue we should always focus on because it's that's not just a ranger issue that's a ranger green beret when you're wearing a black beret formation when you're in the 82nd with your maroon beret people wear their beret like shit like the congressman's beret looked awful like it was goofy like where's your platoon sergeant to square you away like there's a there's like a really nice wear to ber- wear the beret. Like I feel like every single field grade and above in regiment had theirs and it looked really well, like just straight on the forehead. Uh, you know, it's smaller kind of just gets right over the ear. Um, and then you had guys that, yeah, like I don't know how you wore your beret. Yeah. So your beret is like fine. Like that, that is, yeah, that's completely in standard. Like, but like, see how how the flash like I, I see guys I call it like the rhino horn they like yes like that when I see people wear a beret like that I want to throw it like a frisbee off their head like when it covers one complete eye when the flash is parallel to the ground like that stuff grinds my gears um, I I don't know I think this is a better question than the Ranger School Ranger Regiment thing yeah I haven't worn this in a while but throwback to the my. Days of wearing a beret. Um, yeah, I, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was, I thought it was like funny for a second. And then it just was like, all right, we need to stop talking about this because people were just getting butt hurt. It was like the uh, the other thing we saw on social media about people bragging about a hundred percent disability rating from the oh, VA yeah, yeah, yeah. that at, aren't actually disabled. Like that, that kind of goes back to our PTSD discussion that we had a couple weeks ago. Um, like that's a larger issue that we should be focused on, not mm. the distinction for one percent of a population. Yeah, I think we, we we've talked about that before in the past too, about how you know gaming the VA and then getting like a hundred percent disability for guys that have never really deployed or done anything really significant, and like guys that get blown up that don't get a hundred percent. It's like a travesty, and we and we've talked, we're kind of beating that horse. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it it is what it is. The military is a unique branch where they make you stay in shape. Um, but, you know, just to consider, like, really quickly uh, an analogous situation for a civilian workforce, I, I find it shocking that the Army and the government's willing to pay for issues that you develop just for doing the same things you would do if you weren't in the military. Like, mm-hmm. staying in shape is not 
completely unique to military service. So like if you injured yourself working out in the military, you could be like, yeah, uh, chalk that up till I got to prepare for the PT test. But in reality, like I'm going to do the exact, I would have done the exact same thing if I was a civilian and my civilian boss shouldn't, you know, be footing the bill for however many years afterwards for that one injury. Like, like that's some of the stuff I think people need to consider when we start, you know, chalking up actual disabilities to, you know, just things that happen as you age or you progress in, in fitness and, you know, uh, deployments. Yeah. I think it's like, uh, I mean, I'm all for, you know, guys getting taken care of at the same time that like, um, there's, there should be a certain point where you're just like, I, I'm just trying to game the system versus I need to actually need to get this because I'm, I'm, I'm actually messed up from something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the big ones that, we, again, we're talking about, so if you've, if you heard this argument before, we're sorry, but like ED, um, sleep apnea, like ob- obesity related kind of things, uh, th- those are the ones that I don't, th- I don't think the government should even consider uh, spending money on or, or, you know, spending taxpayer dollars for. There's a million things like ED, I, I don't know how that's related to service. Like, oh, stressful situations, you're going to have that anywhere. Sleep apnea. Dude, you got fat. Like you were in a service that made you stay in shape as part of your payment for you know you're signing up, and you still got overweight. Like the army's not responsible for that. That's just like negligence on your part. So like that's the kind of stuff that I think should be scrapped from the VA. And I think we would save a lot of money as a society if we stopped funding that disability. Yeah, I think that's like the um, <laughs> you know like it, it's like policy how like one person decides policy and that just becomes a new standard for across the board. And I think that like you know the thought process behind you know taking care of guys then just gets you know that um, sentiment gets like spread across and then all of a sudden you're taking care of everything that. Well, yeah, like I, here's one that, that should be looked at for a disability instead. The amount of women that uh, – what, what's the term when you can't have a child when you're a woman? Not – bear is not the right word. That's like the – Become grass, infertile, but, I guess. Yeah, in, infertility. Yeah. Infertility for women should be one that you should be able to get a disability for. I, I've never ETS as a woman, so I'm not even sure if they test that, but that's an actual thing. How many friends have we had in the military that can't like get pregnant – um, males that are infertile for, you know, either the stress, uh, like that's kind of stuff or like male pattern baldness. Like there's definitely a correlation between wearing helmets 24 seven and guys with like receding hairlines. But again, these are all like really male focused, but there's gotta be some female specific issues like why ED is covered. But if infertility for women isn't like again that's like a gender issue that should be addressed by the military and by the va system yeah i was i was always interesting that the that the uh military doesn't cover um infertility treatments like it's unbelievable i don't i don't know why like they they cover um one what's the word one um elective surgery i don't that's not Uh, really true okay that's a generality but like they'll cover doing your eyes um, I know you can do breast augmentation with it. Like, I don't understand why it's not doing the exact same thing for people that are trying to have children. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know why the military doesn't pay for like, in like fertility treatments because, for I mean, that's a, such a huge component of like, um, life. Yeah, of, of like a well, mental it, and social. The military is paying for you know like transitions and stuff for soldiers that. 
identify one way or the other um, and, and, you know, supporting that, that, that change. I don't know why we're not doing it for like a next generation and making sure that some soldier's wife or that soldier themselves that's infertile can't have an opportunity, you know, to have a family. Like I, I don't get that. Or if, if we're not going to do that as a military, the military should then help foot the bill for adoptions. Like, you know, adoption costs are super high up front. The military should be like, all right, you get a one-time adoption fee if we find that like you or your your spouse is infertile. And then all of a sudden, there you go. You can start, you know, growing a family that way and promoting um, that that extent of your life. Like, but again, I'm not a policymaker, but I feel like that that's a much bigger thing than ED for the VA or sleep apnea. Yeah, not I would 100 percent agree with you on that. Um, but yeah, that's one thing that I don't really get behind. No. Because I do, oh, yeah, I've done plenty of breast reduction surgeries uh, for active duty service members, which I can get the, the breast reduction side of things because it can cause like, back problems uh, as an aside and as not to be like unprofessional, but every breast reduction I've done, <clears throat> I always think of the super bad quote, you know, that scene in super bad oh, yeah. where they're talking why, about, why would you do that? Yeah. About she got breast reduction. It's like, why would you do that? It's like slapping God in the face. And then she's like, and then she's like, she had back problems, man. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I, remember. I mean, I think that's like, you it's know, valid. that's a that's valid. That's a valid thing, especially for service. Like, we don't want people not being able to perform at, at yeah. higher levels. But I don't know. I just think there's something wrong. And the the comment section too for some of these pages, especially the one that brought it up, you know, highlighted how. It's this kind of bullying that prevents people that really have issues from going and getting seen. I don't buy that argument either. Um, if you really have a disability, when you're getting checked out, it's going to become apparent. Like nobody is arguing that if you are truly hurt or injured, you're not supposed to see a physician. We're arguing that the people that are, you know, 100% disabled, that don't have a Purple Heart from service, um, that weren't injured in, in the actual line of duty that just did it through like rolling an ankle here and there, you know, hurting your wrist. Uh, I don't know, like the, and then stacking up with the ED and sleep apnea, PTSD, like claims and not seeing combat. Like those are all the ones that compound these smaller injuries that add up to a hundred. Like that's the stuff I think people are the most uh, distrustful of this process. And, because people can game a system. There's no way to test for ED. There's no way to sleep apnea. They put a you know a machine on you. Um, if you eat McDonald's for three weeks going into the test, you're going to test for sleep apnea. Like that. Like that's just one of those easy things to game. So I I don't know. I just don't want people fraud, waste, and abuse. Like save some money for the people that really need it. Because one day, I mean, we you know we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. If we're going to run a, a huge, huge, huge deficit, eventually the money's going to dry up somewhere. And I would hate for it to be on service members that, you know, were actually disabled um, and needing that money versus the guy that didn't do anything while he was in the service and thinks he's owed something. Like, you signed up for this. Like, we have to keep reminding people that this is not – I'm not signing up expecting that when I get out in however many years. The GI Bill's great, but the expectation is that I'm not going to – get money because my lower back hurt for a couple years wearing plate carriers like that's not that's not appropriate yeah <clears throat> i agreed and that's I exactly agreed. what i have like you put down like where you win yeah here's 10 percent for your back there's my mobility on my wrist and that's 10 percent. like i was shocked that i got anything at all it was like that's nuts 
Like this is just from working out. Yeah. It's like I think it's just like the rule of thumb is like if you're intentionally trying to increase your disability percent, then you're probably not a good person. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, but uh I guess we will start wrapping it with that. Um anything else here? Yeah. Uh, we've got the new Ranger school guide coming out. So there's going to be more, um, like stability type workout movements involved, uh, with like hand release pushups, um, with the, you know, these hanging knee raises, uh, you know, so we'll, you'll see some, some pretty repetitive movements in there just to develop those skills. Uh, but the same running program is going to be there. Your same rucking, uh, it's just going to be more tempoed and, and varied uh, lifting alternatives. And uh, I guess I'm still working on doing the functional fitness, continuing that um, pre-open programming. I think it's like we're five or six weeks out now from the open. Um, sign up for the open. Use the hashtag CronusFit to get tracked on our leaderboard. And like last year, we'll send you some swag if you, you know, top five or whoever on the board. Uh, we'll send you some free swag this year. Um, that's about all I have. Um, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the uh, listening in today, guys. Especially we covered a lot on COVID. So hopefully your mind has changed on maybe some things that you thought about based on what uh, our resident doctor said. Uh, and uh, make sure if you're in the military, you watch a show on the military. So if people have questions about what service is like and you haven't seen Band of Brothers, you know what to quote. And then, you know, if you're a medical professional, you should probably wear scrubs, too, or suits if you're a lawyer. Yeah, suits, scrubs, uh, and take your vaccine if you're a medical professional, too, apparently. Yeah, I feel fine. For those that care at this point, if you're still listening, I felt absolutely fine after both of my vaccines, both of my shots. I, uh, my yeah, but arm... that face that grew on your stomach, like, talks way too much. Like, like the eyes don't even look straight. Yeah. What's that in the Total Recall? What's the name? It was like scrub blub like blah blah or like yeah. it was something. Yeah, it's totally. Can recall. I restart the machine? <laughs> yeah, I mean like uh Christina got like kind of feverish and chills this after a second one, but like literally I felt fine. Had literally no issues with my shots. My arm was a little bit sore after the first one, second one, like I was sore for a day. Uh, but that was it for me. But I'm also the, the uh my I feel like my immune system is pretty well developed at this point too. Like I don't really get sick anymore. I like stop getting sick like in high school. Like past high school I haven't been sick, like sick sick in a long time. Oh, I haven't been to the doctor in, in years for like feeling sick. I got NyQuil and DayQuil. I'll just cut the two of them together based yeah. on the time of the day. Yeah, also like I haven't taken like antibiotics in, since probably high school. I used to get like sinus yeah. infections a lot in high school. Z packs, they yeah. were great. They work. Yeah. But then like All right. Yeah. Well when with that. We'll talk about The Bachelor next week for everyone that's wondering my take on it. And and if Michelle or Victoria could be the one, are we going to see a turnaround for Matt? I don't know. Stay tuned. Although I have been watching some of the episodes because Christina now watches The Bachelor. Mm -hmm. So I've I've been like transiently watching it when she watches it on Good. Well, then watch tomorrow's and we'll have a lively conversation next week. I'm I'm not going to watch the entire thing. I don't know. I just know the one lady, the one chick that's like a huge Biatch. Jerk. Yeah. yeah. Huge Biatch. Bully. Yeah, the Mean Girls. I love it. The Mean Girls season's here. Uh, 
I like this. But, I like this scene when the uh, the girls, the, the new girls, rolled up and like it was like Miss Puerto Rico, and then what's her face takes the Victoria the, took yeah. the uh, crown. I was like, yeah. that's hilarious. That's 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 hilarious actually. Yeah, that's a boss move, I mean, but that's not gonna get you a, a prophylactic tea endorsement on Instagram when you get out. Like, <laughs> maybe you'll get a Skechers like ad here and there, but that's about it. But we'll talk about this next week because that's really what everyone's listening for. Yeah. All right. Until next time, guys. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.